electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome to Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders tonight are Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Brian Kelly. Coming up on Fast, a mega week for MAGA stocks. What you can expect when these tech titans begin reporting results. Plus, Tesla zooming higher today. We'll tell you what kicks shares into overdrive. And later, we're going dividend diving, but with a twist. Our traders will break down in which dividend ditchers may still be worth a buy. But we begin with breaking news out of the White House. President Trump wrapping up a meeting with retail executives. Kayla Tausch has got the very latest. Kayla. Melissa, the president tweeting that this White House press conference will now be at 5.30 p.m., where we expect the conversation to revolve around what the nation is doing to get testing capacity online so that more Americans can get tested and more Americans can go back to work. The White House is expected to release two documents this evening. One is essentially a chronicle of actions taken to date so far to ramp up the capacity of testing in this country. The second is essentially a blueprint for states for how they can get access to more tests and what resources the federal government has that are available to them. The president hosted many leaders from retail and pharmacy companies at the White House today to talk about how to leverage the retail industry to provide some of these locations for testing. Here's what some of these companies said that they were willing to do. CVS and LabCorp are expected to provide about 1,000 locations with a capacity to run uh, 1.5 million tests a month, according to uh, some of the uh, promises that were released today. Walmart separately is expected to open a total of 100 sites. They say that they will be able to test 20,000 a week. Target has provided some parking lots for other personnel to be able to run those tests, but it's unclear uh, what they are able to do with their own personnel after the president earlier this year asked them personally to get involved in this fight. And then there are a couple others um, as well. LabCorp and and I said... um, I said, I believe, CVS earlier, Melissa, it's LabCorp and Walgreens conducting 50,000 tests a week at drive-through locations in 49 states. It's CVS that's going to provide 1,000 locations and 1.5 million tests every month. They're hoping to get online to that level by the end of May. Now, a lot of these facts are coming in real time. We're expecting a little bit uh, more information to come out of the White House momentarily, Melissa, but certainly the White House is trying to leverage the private sector here to get all of these tests up and running, even if it is. Um, several weeks after, it probably would have been most helpful. Melissa? All right, Kayla. Thank you. Kayla Tausche in Washington. Retail, by the way, a big winner today. The XRT jumping 5%. So as retailers bet on reopening the economy, are you betting on retail? Should you? And are tests really the key here for this sector, Guy? I think you bet on some of them. Are tests the key for the sector, for the market? I know everybody's pointing to that, and that makes obvious sense. But I you know, I think there are a lot of other things <clears throat> under the surface that are sort of very concerning. But I'll answer your question. I, the retailers that have done well, in my opinion, are going to continue to do well. I mean, we've talked about Dollar Gen for a while. That continues to go higher. Today, I thought what's fascinating was the move higher in Target post-earnings last week, and then obviously the move lower in Walmart. I think that trend will continue. I still think you can buy Target, and if you're into it, you sell Walmart against it. 
And I think all these big names, the Macy's, Nordstrom's, uh, Bed Bath & Beyond, that had 10 to 18% moves, to me, I'm not really sure why necessarily today, but it's a lot of short covering uh, into earnings over the next couple of weeks. So I wouldn't be chasing those, but I'd be staying with the names that I mentioned prior. And the volatility, Dan, is what you pointed out on our conference call earlier today. For every 5% move up in the XRT, we see, we see a 5% or bigger move down on the same index. Yeah, really interesting, Mel. I mean, when you think about, uh, obviously, retail was was a sector that you expected to be hit when 95% of U.S. retailers were forced to be closed. Um, but down here now, we're seeing extreme volatility, and I think it's in a lot of these much weaker names when you think about Macy's, Nordstrom's, uh, Kohl's, some of these uh, – Big box guys, um, you know, they've just had a really tough, tough time here. And to Guy's point, you know, Amazon, Walmart, Target, Costco, these guys have been anointed the winners here. They were anointed the winners before this crisis. And because of the forced shutdown of all of their competitors and their, their omnichannel approaches, um, they've just done great. I mean, Kayla had mentioned all this testing. LabCorp separately said that they could also do antibody tests and expect to be able to do 200,000 tests per day by mid-May. So, Tim, I, you know, of the four of you, I would point to you as perhaps the one most likely to actually walk into a store and buy something, maybe a rag and bone suede vest or whatnot. <laughs> but what will it take for, for you yeah. to go into that store? I mean, is an, a widespread antibody test? I mean, that's, that's sort of the question here, right? How long can retailers withstand would, this pain? Yeah, they would need to have some, some kind of suede or leather advertised in the window mill. Um, so I, I think the look, if you look at the outperformance of retail and remember, uh, this is a sector that's outperformed the S&P from the bottom by almost 17 percent. If you if you just do the SPY against the XRT of where there had been massive, massive underperformance. And just today you broke above that 50. Uh, it's no question that that retailers are getting some sense, at least that you have a little bit more visibility into truly where uh, you have revenue stream again after this complete shutoff. So the, the question for retail also has been the most levered names were the ones that were under the most pressure. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean that they suddenly have a lifeline. But we've talked almost, well, we've talked a lot about Macy's. And Macy's is one where uh, I don't think Macy's comes out of this a stronger company. But at some point, the valuation uh, was really a, a very attractive or is attractive relative to the parts, the real estate value alone. So um, something like a Best Buy, which also the analog from 20, 2008, 2009, is, is something that investors, I think, punished more uh, going into this relative to what they thought the consumer was going to be like uh, coming out of COVID-19. We still don't totally know, um, but I think someone like a Best Buy is, is very well exposed to these, uh, to these stimulus checks that are actually going to households. So I think there are some relative winners in here. And I agree with Guy. Relative value is the other part of this. I, I don't want to own Walmart at, at this valuation. And whereas I think someone like Target, while I don't love that story for the consumer overall, it's a much more attractive trade. Indulge me in this contrarian line of thinking, Brian Kelly, because I know you are a contrarian at heart. So I, I'm picking the right person on the panel for this question. But in terms of this move in the XRT, could we be seeing this sector anticipate a reopening of the economy in advance, as stocks do, especially as the Texas governor announced that, you know, that April, April 30th expiration of the stay-at-home order, that is going to expire. So Texas mm -hmm. is going to effectively reopen to some degree already this week. Yeah, so we're going to see Texas and Georgia are going to be these kind of test case for us, if you will. 
Um, you know, to me, when I look at what's going on in retail, you say this is going this event is going to accelerate the trends that have been happening in the past, which is obviously the trend to online, you know, curbside pickup, those type of things. That to me is what's happening here. So I don't want to be in a Macy's. I don't buy the story that Macy's real estate is worth what it was prior to this crisis. I mean, there's a lot there's going to be a lot of real estate devaluation. And in fact, Macy's reminds me very much of Sears years ago when you used to make that play. Well, they're going to be able to sell off the real estate. And then Sears went to a bagel. That's zero. So I think, you know, Macy's, a couple of the other retailers that are heavy with asset, asset heavy, they're going to have problems. The ones that are seamlessly going online, you're seeing it with Walmart, potentially Target. Uh, those are the ones that are going to be the winners out of this. I like your choice of bagel over donuts and nod to New York, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Guy, Guy, in terms of the accelerant, you know, that that actually is a theme in this whole pandemic, right? I mean, we had that Moffat Nathanson note just last week about Disney and, and streaming and how usually situations like this are accelerants to trends that had already been in place. They actually use that exact word, accelerant. So can we apply that, in your view, to retail? I believe so. I, you know, I absolutely believe so. We've said this for a while now. Many of these retailers that we just talked about at length, I mean, they were on this trajectory prior to the word coronavirus ever being uttered in mainstream media. So they were going that way. Obviously, this, to your word, and Moffat Nathanson's, accelerated it. But I'll ask you this. You know, what's that day after Thanksgiving? What do they call that thing? Black uh, Friday. Black Friday. Black Friday. When everybody and then there lines was Cyber up, Monday. Yep, right, yep, everybody. Yep. It's good. Happy Turkey Day, yeah, guy. those things, right? And then everybody, gone. like, lines up. What, you, do you think... <laughs> Seriously, do you think you're going to be hordes of people lining up when they open the first Macy's or no is the short answer. I mean, they they can open whatever they want, but people aren't racing back. I mean, they could say that they'll pay you to go on an airplane right now, but it's not happening. So despite the you know, I understand people want to be optimistic. I get it. Trust me, I get it. I just don't think we're at that place right now where people are ready you know, the pent up demand that everybody talks about, the president talks about, I understand it in theory. I don't necessarily know if it happens in, in real life. Dan Quick. Yeah, just real quickly, Jeffrey Gunlock this afternoon on the Halftime Report talked about on the other end of this crisis that we may see a very, very different consumer. This consumer in 2019 was going crazy on credit to consume at levels of 90 percent of GDP versus normally 70 percent. So when you think about the massive job losses that we have had in such short period of time and the likelihood that they just don't come back full swing for at least a year, year and a half, consumption may be down a great deal. Um, we may get back to some saving. We may get to um, the pent-up demand, maybe for these checks. But on the way out, we may not be as um, uh, just splurging on concessionary items, especially big-ticket items, the way we had been the last few years. Okay, so let's talk about this changing consumer potentially. Turn to another industry mapping out a path forward. The casino stocks cruising higher to kick off the week. Las Vegas Sands, MGM, Wynn Resorts, all locking in big gains as investors start to make bets on what a post-coronavirus environment might look for, like, for these gaming stocks. While these names are still down big on the year, could it be time to start getting constructive on what the future holds for the casinos? And Tim, of course, we've heard from the mayor of Las Vegas coming out very vocally, wanting to reopen the Strip. Uh, the oh former boy. CEO of oh MGM, boy. Jim Murin, is the head of the state's coronavirus task force, and he's starting to think about what casinos could look like in this new environment. But, but if People have to be six feet apart. 
and people have to get their temperatures taken before they walk onto a casino floor. Are you going to go? Well, um, I like to get to Vegas a couple times a year, so I, I think at some point I will go. Um, I think you have a case where uh, we have to really understand what the new normal is. And I, I mean, obviously, uh, purely from a, a vaccine and a treatment perspective, because people will go back to casinos. And, and if you're investing in casinos, uh, first of all, that trade down uh, 72% in 20 something days. I mean, extraordinary, at least if you look at when. Um, and it's also up 70% in, in 15 days or so. A lot of this, by the way, since on April 7th, they, they, they guided on Q1. They also gave a liquidity update. So this is a company that's got three billion uh, in reserves or cash, and they're burning between uh, in Macau and in Asia. They're burning about three million dollars a day, and in the Strip uh, and in the U.S., they're burning about uh, three and a half to four. Call it eight million dollars a day uh, on a three billion dollar cash. Uh, line of credit and reserve. And this is a case where if you're a medium term investor in, in casinos, I, I think you have to own them. Uh, and again, if you look at when, let's just stay there, reports, I, I think, in the second week of May. Uh, but you have a case where uh, you're still basically getting the U.S. assets for free uh, based upon the valuation you have here. And I think gross gaming revenue or, or GGR in Macau um, was priced down to almost nothing. And I think the trends there were pretty decent going into. So, I, I, again, I, I think a lot of this will come back. It doesn't have to be tomorrow. And by the way, the stock's had a massive move. So um, take a medium term view here. I hope it comes back. But even in the medium term, and I'll, I'll go to BK on this, let's, let's say they reopen and people have to be six feet apart. What does that mean for capacity in terms of the number of people on a percentage basis can occupy the casino floor safely? And let's, let's just say, for argument's sake, every single possible seat that's six feet apart is occupied with somebody who's gambling. What does that mean yeah, I mean for the revenue for that particular casino still? Yeah, well, and not all, I mean, a couple different things to remember on this. I'll add into it the fact that all these casinos are hotels as well. And many hotels, when they're below 90% occupancy rates, lose money and cannot operate. So I don't know how you have a casino that's half empty or half full, depending on your uh, perspective, and a hotel that's a third full or a half full, and think that you're going to generate the same kind of revenue as before. The other thing that I'm struck by is that I know these casinos want to open up and I'm sure people will go there. But there's this huge divergence between what the casinos are saying and people wanting to reopen and then the airlines. I mean, how do you get to Vegas? You hop on a flight. Very few people will drive there. Everybody hops on a flight. They're saying it's one to two years away before you get any type of volume back up. That is going to impact Vegas. So with the runs off the bottom in these stocks, BK is a seller. Last word, Guy. So in early March, we mentioned how well, relatively speaking, wind was trading vis-a-vis -vis the broader market. And we said, you know, maybe there's some glimmer of hope. And I know over the last couple of weeks, we've said, you know, wind resorts could trade up to 85 on air. And I think today it traded up to 83.99. So, you know, that's worked. That's been the right call, not because of anything has fundamentally changed. But as Tim always says, you, know, you buy these stocks when things are getting less bad. With that said, there's nothing more lame. And remember, I taught you how to play craps, remember? You there's didn't nothing teach me more anything. lame I than being at a craps table with... I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, you learned everything I know then. Oh, well, anyway. <laughs> My point is, the, casinos with two people at a crap... I mean, it's just... It's, it ain't a casino. I mean, maybe that's the new norm. But to BK's point, there's going to be an opportunity to short these things. 
I think we're probably a week away. If, if win would trade up to 90 bucks, which it might do tomorrow, I think you sell the double, as they say in trader parlance. I just say no to gambling, by the way. No gambling for me. Coming up, GM slashes its dividend, joining a growing number of companies that have done the same. We'll find out if our traders like any of these names. And later, we're counting down to big tech earnings. Will it be a mega week for MAGA stocks? We'll get some answers. Fast Money's back in two. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another dividend bites the dust. General Motors slashing its dividend, halting its share buybacks as it shores up liquidity during the pandemic. And GM's not alone. In case you've lost track at home, this is a giant scrolling list of all the companies that have cut their dividends in recent weeks due to the coronavirus outbreak. So we thought this would be a great time to play a little Trade It or Fade It. That's right. Trade It or Fade It. Dividend Cut Edition. So we kick it off with Guy on General Motors. Trade It. Or fade it. And we ask this question because there's a couple ways to look at a dividend cut. Either the company is weak and sees bad things ahead, or maybe they're just simply being conservative and shoring up their balance sheet. Right. Can I ask you a quick question, Melvin? I'm sorry, it's been a while. So it, the traded part means I, would, I think it's going to go <laughs> higher from here. So we're trading it faded, it, right? Just so I get Come the on, rules guys. right. Because you know I don't like when you start with me. I usually cheat off the other guys. Uh, no, That's actually, correct. I usually start with you. Uh, in trade, it means you buy it. Fade, it oh. means you sell it. Fade it! Fade it! Fade it! You know, it's funny, Mel. It's actually not that funny. But if you go back and look, uh, since the, this new iteration of GM, which is now, what is it, probably 11 years old or 10 years old or thereabouts, I mean, it hasn't been a particularly good stock. As a matter of fact, it's been an abysmal stock. I mean, the S&P's gone from basically 700 to current levels and General Motors has gone from, I think, 33 or so to where we are now. I don't see any compelling reason to own it. The valuation argument's been there. That's not going away. So I would absolutely say, and if you want to roll the tape, fade it. BK, I'm wondering if you agree with Guy. Nice. Thank you for the sound effect. A little bit delayed there. Um, If you agree with Guy on this, and and I will also ask you the follow-up question in advance, which is, would you have bought GM regardless of what it did with the dividend anyway. I mean, just anyway, did you did you like it or did you never like it? Right. So I, I, so to answer your second question first, I don't think you're buying GM to get the dividend, right? You're buying GM because you think global car sales are going to go up, that you're going to have a growing middle class around the world, global motors, I think some people have called it. Uh, and so that's why you're buying GM. In this environment, I don't want to touch it. And there's just a lot of cars out there. I mean, think about you know, Hertz. Oh, yeah, so that's a faded. You've got Hertz. You've got um, Avis. You've got all these car companies, all these rental car companies that are saying they're they're down. They're going to be selling cars like crazy. So I don't think uh, GM is going to do well in this environment. Faded. All right. Tim Schlumberger. Yeah. Hi. 
Uh, I'm going to trade it. And I've talked about this stock over the last few weeks. I, I actually and look how it performed today with oil down 7 percent. So these guys cut their dividend by 84 percent. These guys uh, have gone out of their way to let you know where they have actually reeled in CapEx. Uh, this is the technology leader in, in oil field services. This is uh, a case where I think you've priced in uh, enormous uh, destruction. And, and at this point, this stock actually has the cash flow. This stock is uh, the most efficient player. Rig counts have been cut massively. It's not going to get uh, the sector's not going to get rosy on you overnight, um, but it's really what it's traded this thing down to. And and I think you can own Schlumberger here. And the price action of the stock uh, during very volatile oil prices, I think, reinforces that view. So I trade it. Have I mistraded or faded? Uh, Darden is the next one, and it is for Dan. Darden, traded or faded? Yeah. You know, I think you faded here. The stock has obviously gotten destroyed without a whole heck of a lot of visibility about their business um, going forward. But it has it has a huge run off the lows here. Um, listen, I, I just take a much more pessimistic view of, of the economy here. I think this is going to take us a lot longer to work our way out. I can't speak to things like oil and rig counts and all that sort of stuff, what Tim was just talking about. But one thing, if you look at Main Street, you realize that there is going to be tremendous disruption to the restaurant business. So, you know, I'm I'm hoping that Darden makes that out alive. But when you think about the fact that they're not going to get back to peak earnings until maybe late 2021, 2022, um, I just don't see why you buy this thing after that big run up it's had over the last month. All right. Last one up, Hilton. And it's for Brian Kelly. Trade it or fade it, Hilton? This one's an easy one. It's a faded. I mean, we talked about the casinos being hotel chains. Yeah, you fade this one. I think it's going to be an awful long period of time before these occupancy rates get back to anywhere near the place that they can make some money. You're raising Thank your you. hand, guys, so I, I will allow this. <laughs> so I know that there are five of us in five different spots and then the crack crew in EC, but I, hopefully they can play the following soundbite on the back of BK. The great Paris Hilton saying, that's hot. That's what I was <laughs> saying hot. BK. There you have it. (laughs) Good for you, EC crew. All right, coming up. The market seems to be pricing in a big move from the Fed this week. But what if they don't deliver? We'll break down the big Fed bomb that could be lurking in the tape. And later, is trouble brewing for Starbucks? Why options traders are getting cautious ahead of tomorrow's earnings. Stay with us. Fast is back into. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money Stocks. Finishing higher today as we gear up for what could be a major moment of truth for the market. The Fed kicks off a two-day meeting tomorrow, and with the Fed all in on doing whatever it takes, 
buying whatever it takes to stabilize the economy. The stakes couldn't be higher. Listen to what Allianz chief economic advisor Mohamed El Arian said earlier today on Squawk Box. If the Fed went all the way down to high yield, why not one step further into stocks? Do they keep quiet and allow that that implicit Fed put support the stock market? Or do they say something to to stop more moral hazard? I think they're going to avoid this issue. That would be an interesting proposition, Guy, and I'll kick it off with you. I mean, let's be clear, the Fed on its own can't buy equities. It would need congressional approval. But in this crisis era, that may not be too far off either. So is there a belief in the marketplace, as Mohammed puts forth, that perhaps the Fed could actually step in and really be a put for the market? Yeah, well, I hope not, obviously, because then we're going down a road that we that I don't think we should go down. Um, But the second point is, I understand the crisis we're facing on the health front, on many fronts, but in terms of the stock market, I mean, the S&P 500 is down, what, 16% off its all-time high? I mean, there, that's no crisis. I mean, obviously, a couple of weeks ago, it might have been a different story, but the market's come raging back. So to even have that conversation right now seems to me a little premature. I am not a fan, uh, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of a lot of things the Fed has done, and I can wax poetic as to a lot of the reasons I think we've gotten ourselves to where we are now based on their activities over the last dozen years. But let's just hope it doesn't have to come to that, Melms. Uh, well, I mean, what's interesting, and Dan, you pointed this out on, on our calls, that the Fed has been in so many asset classes at this point. Uh, there are so many distortions within this market. So how do you use, for instance, you pointed out HYG. A lot of people point to HYG as some sort of barometer of the health of, of the stock market. Well, listen, you know, Tom Lee has been pointing this out from Fundstrat that HYG is is diverged from certain other asset classes. And obviously, you know, one of the Fed's actions was to kind of get the plumbing going in some of these capital market capacities. And therefore, there's been a lot of issuance. And and he thinks that's bullish. And I don't disagree with that. I mean, we're getting some deals done that need to be done in the high yield market. And that's going to ease some of the pain that that a lot of these companies are feeling. But the main point here is distortion. And I'm going to make a lot of fast money fans very happy. If the Fed starts buying stocks here, I quit. I'm out. It's done. It's a mugs game at that point. It doesn't make any sense. So, you know, you guys may get your wish, but to Guy's point, if they start buying stocks here, when we are just two months into the biggest economic crisis, one of the largest drawdowns that we ever saw in the shortest amount of time, one of the biggest health crises that we've seen in decades, if not a hundred years, and they start doing it now after this rebound, it makes no sense. Price discovery's out the window. Why own risk assets? You know, because you're never going to know what they're really worth. Dan, there are plenty of people who do love you. I just wanted to point that out. But Brian Kelly, when I think about central banks buying stocks, I think of Japan. And I'm not, you know, I'm not familiar enough with Japan. I'm sure you are much more familiar than I am um, with the context uh, and, and whether or not it was met with surprise that they went to that last resort. Um, you know, it was initially meant, meant with surprise. I think probably the more important thing for equity investors is, did it work? Did equity prices go higher? And the answer is no. Eventually, that just wears off. And I think that's probably the bigger risk that the Fed has here. You know, the bull case here is bull, built on the fact the Fed's going to do everything that they can. Well, once they've done it all and it doesn't work, then what are you left with? That, to me, is kind of the, the scarier part. And I would just add that, you know, it would make BK very sad 
if they bought stocks and Dan had to quit. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the records, on tape now. <laughs> Our next guest says, thanks to the Fed, we are headed back to new all-time highs. Let's bring in Ed Yordeni of Yordeni Research. Ed, great to speak with you. Thank you. Um, I- I'm just going to continue the conversation we've been having here uh, with the traders on the virtual desk, and, and that is that the notion that perhaps some participants in the market may believe the Fed could actually step in and buy stocks, I mean, pending congressional approval. I mean, do you, do you think that that has entered uh, the realm of even discussion within the walls of the Federal Reserve? I, I seriously doubt it. I think that the Fed has to be pretty satisfied with what they have accomplished since March 23rd. On March 23rd, they uh, announced QE forever, uh, just an unlimited uh, buying of uh, bonds, uh, including not just treasuries and uh, agencies and mortgage-backed securities, but through special purpose vehicles. They started buying investment-grade bonds, and they're not buying all junk bonds. They're buying the triple Bs that had been sort of on the edge of falling into junk that, in fact, fell into junk, and that's what they're buying. What we're seeing here is they've already been very effective in terms of turning the stock market around to the upside in a big way, and that's because of rebalancing. There are a lot of institutional accounts that I talked to that desperately wanted to get out of bonds and into stocks when stocks got so cheap and bond yields had come down to almost zero. And um, they got their wish when the Fed came in and basically went from bazookas to B-52s and carpet-bombed our economy and financial markets with liquidity. Bam, you just saw all these accounts moving out of bonds and into stocks. And that explains why this market has ricocheted so dramatically here to, to the upside. So I agree, the Fed doesn't have to do anything in the stock market in terms of direct buying. They've already done more than enough. So in terms of your call for, for new record highs, Ed, what, what needs to happen in your view for that to happen? And is this, is this the V-shape in the stock market that people were hoping for? Well, honestly, we always get new record highs as long as the world doesn't come to an end, right? So I'm not True. expecting the world to come to an end. I'm not expecting a depression. I don't think this is the Spanish flu. Um, I think we're going to get through this in a matter of weeks, not in a matter of months or years. And I think we're already starting to see our economies opening up. If we do it gradually and intelligently, everybody should be wearing masks in addition to washing their hands um, and just taking some uh, precautions. I think we are going to open up the economy, and um, I think we'll, uh, we'll accommodate to, to uh, this uh, new world that we're in of uh, being more conscious about uh, health situations. But we've got technology. We've got uh, health care companies that are going to definitely benefit from this kind of environment. And um, I think uh, there's going to be a consolidation of a lot of businesses, mm-hmm. especially the energy sector. So there's actually going to be fewer quality c- companies to invest in, and they're going to have high PEs. So let's just fine point this, uh, Ed, and, and that is in terms of your call for new record highs, um, we just have to basically exceed what we, where we were in February, right? So well, yes. what, what's the timing on this in your sure. view? Yeah, timing is, uh, is, is everything. important. But, uh, you know, I mean, if you get the basic trend right, uh, you, can, uh, you, you can basically deal with some of the volatility. And we've had a heck of a lot of volatility recently. Look, uh, to be honest, I was looking for 3,500 uh, by the end of this year, at the beginning of the year before the virus hit. Uh, and we got to 3,300. We actually got close, pretty close ahead of schedule. Then when the virus hit, I said, you know what, Um, I think we want to have some cash uh, just in case uh, this virus turns out to be uh, a serious correction. Well, it turned out to be a bear market, but so far it looks like a 33-day bear market, and 
has rebounded to a 15% drop from the top, which is kind of back to correction territory. Right. I'm looking for 3500 by the end of next year, so I'm pushing it out. Uh, I don't know what I want to do about the 2900 which is the number I changed to for the end of this year. We're already there yeah. for all practical purposes. So I don't know. I'm not going to get too cute about it. I'm going to kind of leave it there, see how this market uh, absorbs uh, some some of the news that we still have to absorb in terms mm-hmm. of earnings and all that. But uh, I think that the trend is higher, and I think we did make a low on March 23rd, thanks to the Fed's QE forever. Okay. Ed, thank you. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate it. Ed, your Denny, your Denny Research. Uh, Tim Seymour, what do you think of Ed's call? Well, if, if Ed is, is basically arguing a couple things. He's, he's arguing that from a, from a reallocation and, and a rebalancing perspective, uh, a lot of funds have to go back into the equity market. I, I think that's a fair one. J.P. Morgan's been saying that. Um, you have a case where equity valuations came into this at absurd levels going in. Um, so we, we take it as a given that, that multiples are not going to make any sense. The one thing I, I would just caution on is, is you've seen companies uh, coming in and stepping into the investment-grade bond market in mass over the last couple of weeks. Um, ultimately, I think that's very good in the short term. I think you're getting to a place here where companies have, have levered up their balance sheets dramatically. So what we look like on the other side is still very much unknown. But, but yeah, I don't see in the absence of the financial oppression that the Fed has thrown at anyone that wants to save or have a fixed income, they've been forced into equities. And, and I think that's going to be something that really gives equities more more bang than people mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. This notion that Ed brought up is interesting. The notion of companies, low-quality companies, maybe going out of business, so some sort of a consolidation within the market, fewer high-quality names to invest in, Dan. What does that do to the overall shape of the market? We're already in a market that has very little breadth when it comes to the haves and have-nots, the ones that have bounced off the lows and the ones that haven't uh, recouped those losses. Well, listen, I mean, you know, the equity market is reflective of what's going on in the economy, right? So, so there's fewer and fewer winners in the stock market, um, and we're just socializing the losses of everyone else. And you guys had a great segment with Carter the other day talking about the concentration of the top five in the S&P, the highest point in 30 years or so. And Goldman Sachs was out talking about it over the weekend, and they said, when you see that level of concentration and that overboughtness and that narrow breadth, it doesn't end well. I don't know why it would be different this time. Those five names are going to continue to be winners, but it's really the rest of the 500 in the S&P 500 that I'm working, worried about. And I think there's a massive disconnect between Wall Street and the stock market and Main Street. And I think that's what's going to play out over the next year. 3,500 by the end of 2021. I, it's optimistic. I just don't see it. The idea that we are all so afraid of a protracted bear market Given how difficult the circumstances are right now, whether this virus goes away like a miracle, the aftermath of the economic effects are going to be here for a while. And the equity market does not reflect that right now. All right. Coming up, Tesla on a tear. We will break down what is helping this stock crush the S&P 500 this year. Stay with us. Let's go straight to the White House. President Trump is in the Rose Garden. Let's take a listen. Today, I'd like to provide you with an update in our war against the coronavirus. Thanks to our comprehensive strategy and extraordinary devotion to our citizens, we've had such tremendous support all over. We continue to see encouraging signs of progress. Cases in New York area, New Orleans, Detroit, Boston, and Houston are declining. 
Denver, Seattle, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., Atlanta, Nashville, Indianapolis, and St. Louis are all stable and declining. All parts of the country are either in good shape, getting better, in all cases, getting better. And we're seeing very little that we're going to look at as a superseding hotspot. Uh, things are moving along. Really a uh, horrible situation that we've been confronted with, but they're moving along. As we express our gratitude for these hard-fought gains, however, we continue to mourn with thousands of families across the country whose loved ones have been stolen from us by the invisible enemy. We grieve by their side as one family, this great American family, and we do grieve. We also stand in solidarity with the thousands of Americans who are ill and waging a brave fight against the virus. We're doing everything in our power to heal the sick and to gradually reopen our nation. We were listening to President Trump in the uh, Rose Garden with his coronavirus update. We'll monitor this and bring you any headlines as we have them. Let's move on, though. Meantime, Tesla canceling plans to bring some workers back to its production facility in California this week. Shares of the company had surged today on a report that employees were heading back on Wednesday, and that would be before stay-at-home orders in the San Francisco Bay Area were officially lifted. Tesla stock is up more than 85 percent. 85 percent since the recent market low about five weeks ago. So what's your take, Tim, on this move? Uh, you know, what a surprise. Tesla says something and then kind of changes their story. Um, I, you know, look, Tesla at eight hundred dollars. Um, I'll sell that to anybody that wants to. Uh, but I, I do think you have a case here where the Shanghai story is what's been supporting it. Uh, the earnings and the free cash flow over the last couple quarters uh, has been critical. Uh, to, to, to bringing uh, some sense that the company can do this profitably. I, I don't think this is an environment uh, that's better for Tesla. Uh, and that's not just the macro on where energy prices are and not just where credit markets, I, I believe, truly are. Um, but it's a case where I, I think that that car, which was uh, the Model 3, which is the mass market car, um, I'm, I'm not sure that the demand is where it is in this environment. But, but look, um, $800 is, is a level that I didn't think the stock could ever get to. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's, that's very clear. Guy, I pose this question to you, and that is, do you think that demand pre-pandemic mm. will be the same as demand post-pandemic or even during pandemic? I think going forward, the demand will continue to increase. In the short term, no. I mean, with energy prices cratering, and Dan uses the word, he's right, crashing, you know, that should actually give some sort of a tailwind to some of these uh, manufacturers like GM and Ford and actually should work to somewhat of the detriment to Tesla. But one thing I've learned, you know, this is a stock for the last seemingly $500 I've zigged when I should have zagged, and I just can't get on the right side of it. It's clear that, you know, I, I'm, I'm missing something in terms of the stock and it's doing what it wants to do. I'm sort of in Tim's camp here. But with that said, I, you know, I watch these moves and I just find myself shaking my head in an environment where, of all stocks, Tesla should not be doing as well as it is. All right. Coming up, a big bright spot in the retail wreckage. You'll hear from one company who is all in online, and that is helping them kick the competition to the curb. And don't miss our special coverage of markets and turmoil. That is coming up tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern time, right here on CNBC. Fast Money, be right back.
Welcome back to Fast Money. The coronavirus wreaking havoc on the retail sector as many mall-based names remain closed. But some online retailers are seeing a big surge in demand, including our next guest's company, Eddie Lou, CEO of Goat. They're an online sneaker reseller with major backers, including Y Combinator, Upfront Ventures, and Foot Locker. Eddie, great to speak with you. Hey, how's it going? So a lot of people are at home. Are they buying high-end sneakers? Yeah. Um, luckily, I mean, we built a diversified business that spans sneakers, apparel, and accessories, and we have a vast global network of sellers, including individuals who are reselling, boutiques, and brick-and-mortar retailers, and the brands themselves. So, of course, we've seen some changes in our shipping logistics times, and our flight club brick-and-mortar retail stores are closed, but our business is primarily digital and more specifically mobile. So, with over 20 million members at home um, sitting around, our business has been resilient for both buyers and sellers during this time. In terms of liquidity and the ability to operate, Eddie, I'm, I'm wondering if you have enough on hand or if you've gone back to investors and what your take on the environment is compared to when you did your last round. So my co-founder and I actually started working together during the 2008 financial crisis. So we're no stranger to potential dips in the economy. When we built GOAT in 2015, a sustainable business model has always been our priority. So we focused on having strong unit economics rather than a growth at all cost mentality like other startups you've seen. And um, that's why we built our marketplace the way, the way we did. We're inventory list, so it's a marketplace model, so we don't hold any inventory. And prices are set by the sellers, and they're dynamic, and they fluctuate. So it's really us being partners to our sellers and our buyers, where our sellers, depending on um, their liquidity needs, they can increase or reduce prices, and we just help them fulfill and authenticate the product. Dan, you got a question. Yeah. Hey, Eddie, you know, I'm a big fan of the Goat app. Um, I've done both of my purchases via the Goat app, but I also live in the city where Flight Club is, and it's a great retail experience. Before the pandemic, you guys were thinking about expanding Flight Club. What does this do to those plans? It's still a great retail experience. And what do you think of the omni-channel approach? We're still very bullish of the omni-channel approach. My whole thesis is that the best brick-and-mortar retailers will continue to survive and thrive once life goes back to whatever new normal this is. And we are pretty excited about what we can um, do for, for, that, for that channel, especially, I mean, we've seen um, a resurgence in even um, sneakers like the Jordan brand shoes with Michael Jordan's Last Dance documentary coming out. Um, there's just so much more excitement in the sneaker category. And that tactile experience of having omni-channel retail is going to be important uh, in the future as it was in the past. Eddie, great to speak with you. Thanks for your time. Thanks so much. Eddie Liu, the CEO of GOAT. Dan, I got to go to you. You're chief sneaker correspondent. You sport sneakers yourself. I mean, you're, you're the guy. So what do, you, what do you glean from this and what do you extrapolate to retail? I think it's really, I think there's pockets of retail that are going to continue to do well. I mean, people want to feel good about things. They're watching that Jordan documentary. They're searching on the GOAT app for Jordan 1s or this, that, whatever. And I, I just think it's, it's, a, it's a great service. They've done a great job with that omni-channel approach. And I think that his optimism about expanding further into bricks and mortar should tell you a lot about the future of retail. And it doesn't really look like what we've seen over the last 20 years. I mean, guy, you spend, what, a third of your waking hours on the GOAT app? (laughs) You know, I find it hysterical that there are so many people out there that think they're going to buy a pair of original Air Jordans and and have the same handle Michael has. You're going to play more like Jim Jordan Then you're going to play like Michael Jordan, folks. So I just don't get it. With that said, TRB, the reform broker, 
He bought me a pair. Thank you. He bought me a pair of these fly sevens or something from my 50th birthday 26 years ago. So I might put those on the GOAT app. Give it a whirl. Give it a whirl, Guy. Still ahead, tomorrow kicks off a mega week for the MAGA stocks. We'll tell you uh, what to look for as the tech titans gear up to report results. And speaking of earnings, Starbucks is out with results after the bell tomorrow. But options traders are betting the coffee giant's about to get burned. We'll break down the action when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's a mega week for the MAGA stocks. A big cap tech names all set to report over the next few days. So we go to Dan. What are you expecting out of these names, Dan? Yeah, so the options market is actually implying some pretty hefty moves. Microsoft and Apple about 4%, Amazon and Google about 5 5.5%, and Facebook about 6%. I, I would really be shocked if either or any of these stocks moved more than 5% um, in either direction. I think investors are pretty comfortable with the fact that visibility is going to be very poor. I would expect maybe Facebook, the one to actually have the biggest hit, um, to revenues going forward. But we'll see. I, I just think that the expectations are not particularly high right now. And obviously, we are talking about the biggest stocks making five biggest stocks making up 20 percent of the S&P 500 BK. So clearly, whatever these guys say this week is going to be crucial for the overall uh, indice. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these are the stocks that everybody thinks are going to go grow no matter what. So if there's some kind of crack in that thesis, then yes, you're going to have a lot of selling and it's like trying to put an elephant through a door, right? It's most likely going to break as you go through. Guy, which MAGA stock do you like the best going into earnings? What's going to, what's going to, what's going to break? The elephant or the door? I would assume he meant the door. The MAGA stock I like I the most here would be the Google. If Google is still a MAGA stock, the one that I would be a seller of into earnings, and I've said this for a while and I'm ready to get fricasseed on live TV this, I believe, Wednesday or Thursday would be Amazon, which I think you sell ahead of earnings and look to buy back at that previous all-time high from February of 2170 Melms. All right, let's stick with earnings, get another check on the consumer when Starbucks reports after the bell tomorrow. The stock has bounced uh, well off its lows of the year, but at least one trader in the options market is betting that Starbucks could get roasted when it reports. We go to Mike Coe with the action. Hey, Mike. Hi there. So Starbucks is implying a move of about 6% by the end of the week. That's larger than about the 4.8% or so that it has averaged after earnings over the last eight quarters, although maybe that's not as much of an increase in volatility as you might expect in this environment. The trade that I was looking at, the largest trade of the day, actually, was in October 9065 in the money put spread. Somebody bought 1,300 of those. They spent a little over 12 dollars each or twelve hundred dollars per contract to put that trade on about one and a half million dollars in premium buying that put spread is a bet that the stock would run towards that lower strike although i would note that this is an october put spread so it has some time to go before expiration so this is uh, maybe not only earnings related the stock is basically unchanged uh, year on year so that's pretty good performance all things considered i can understand why you might be fading it here all right thanks for that mike mike co uh, Tim, are you still an owner of Starbucks? I am, and I think they're they're kind of uniquely uh, in the in the headwinds of what's going on with COVID. So uh, less commuters. You have a dynamic here where I think, but I I think they've got mid kind of single digits same store sales growth, thirty thousand stores globally. It's it's uh, one. Of the I think you own it here. Um, how much higher? I'm not sure, but I stay long, safe. Uh, stay long, Starbucks. All right, BK. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, if you're long it, I'd probably be taking profits in it. I think, you know, you've got a great CEO who understands this situation, um, you know, but make sure you don't get burnt. That was a joke on the beans and the roasted. We got it. We're not laughing. Up, oh, oh, no, sorry. This thing was on. <laughs> this is not nearly as much fun as when we're all in person. It's, I mean, it's, I mean, it's fun. Don't get me wrong, but it's much more fun when we're all, all in one place. Guy Dami, where do you stand on Starbucks? Go back and look. Dan Nathan pointed this out weeks ago. That low we made a few weeks in March 23rd, I think, of 60 bucks was the same low we made on Christmas Eve 2018. But I'm in the BK camp. I think if this thing rallies post-earnings, you take the money and run Melissa Lee. All right. For more options action, be sure to tune in to the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next... We got the final trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Dan Nathan. Yeah, so work from home, big theme here. Um, If Zoom can trade at 50 times this year's fiscal sales, I think Slack. Ticker W-O-R-K can trade at a much higher price of sales multiple than 17. I like Slack here. Brian Kelly. Uh, so if you think about what the world's going to look like, you're going to have supply chains come back to the U.S. U.S. companies should be better. Small caps tend to benefit from that by IWM. Tim shots frozen. So we go to Tim on the phone for the final trade. Tim. Yeah, I just flip off for a Starbucks. But let's go with Best Buy. Despite the fact that Guy Adami likes the showroom there on Sunday afternoons, he's not right now. Uh, and I do think this is a beneficiary of both stimulus uh, and a recovery in the consumer in the electronic space. Guy Adami. I learned that routine from you, Melms. You go in, you shop, and then you buy it online. However, Blackstone has traded ridiculously well. BX. All right. Thanks for watching. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. The designer event is now on at Bloomingdale's, and you don't want to miss it. Shop the most sought-after handbags, shoes, and ready-to-wear from the top luxury designers, all at incredible savings. This sale only happens for a limited time online and in-store. So head on over to Bloomingdale's today and shop the designer event.